to another episode of MJ's Progress Not Perfection. Today's one is a special one because it's the first time I'm doing a panel. There's four of us on here. Um, they've all been guests of the show before. Uh, Foster has been on the show. Ashley has been on a couple times. And Tara was on a couple months ago. In the description, I put all of our episodes where you can find out more about that person um, by going to the episode where they were featured. And if you haven't heard their story yet, now you can just go in the description, whether you're listening or watching, it's in there. Um, and also, there's a little bit of bonus, five minutes at the end. Um, we were just chatting about stigmas uh, as people were joining the conversation. It starts with Tara and I, Ashley and Foster joins before we really get into the episode. And we were talking a lot about stigmas that we didn't really touch on um, in the episode. So I figured I'll just throw in that five minutes at the end as a little bonus so enjoy the episode. We'll start. Welcome to the show, everybody. Um, I appreciate everybody coming on. Everybody on the show right now has been on their own episode with me, too, and had their story told. And if you go into the description, it'll be all the links for all their stories. So in case like this is your first time watching us and you want to hear more about one of us, all of our stories will be in the link below in the description. So if we want to go around, I'm J.D., um, I got about 19 months sober from alcohol and three and a half years from pills and opiates and the rest of all the drugs. Um, and I'm, you know, I use cannabis in my recovery. We're talking about stigmas today. So my biggest stigma that I deal with on a daily basis is that I use cannabis in my recovery. So, uh, Foster, uh, you want to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm Foster Chambers and, uh, my clean date is 10 20 and uh, so I might be year today. Oh, okay. shit. Congrats, after, man. Thank I you. didn't realize after, that yet. Uh, after 46 years of addiction. So, uh, <clears throat> but my big thing is uh, I'm, I'm dying for congestive heart failure. The reason I'm on air um, today is because I uh, just want the world to start looking at it differently. The stigma is kind of crazy. So, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, you you told me you were at your thirteen percent heart function. Yeah, thirteen. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right, Tara. Um, I'm Tara. I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. I don't really know my clean date because by the time I finally stopped relapsing, I was just using cannabis. So I was like you know, this isn't considered clean, this isn't recovery because of so many years being in the rooms and all that. Um, but I have like four years away from like my last use. And then I have eight years since like being strung out and having a habit. Sweet. Awesome. And we got Ashley, you just celebrated the sobriety date recently too, didn't you? Yeah, I had two years at the beginning of August. Awesome. Oh, it was your birthday yesterday. That's what I'm thinking of. It was your birthday. I knew you celebrated yeah. something. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. I just turned 30 yesterday. Happy birthday. Um, from, thanks. Young. I'm from Tiffin, Ohio. And stigma I deal with is cannabis use in my recovery. And also um, the stigma of harm reduction, like, needle exchanges and all that like i'm very pro that and pro suboxone or methadone use like just whatever makes somebody's lighter than what it was before so yes yeah 
and we and actually that was one of the topics I want to talk about is the is the reason I thought of you Ashley is the medical stigma. Um, do you want to talk about what happened to you and you went to the first detox and what the stigma around oh, yeah. hospitals? Uh, so um, my first detox, I, I got admitted to the emergency room. Shit. Wait, Ashley, because, hold on. Um, really Wait, hold on. You, Can you lost hear me? It. I lost you for one second right when you said I was going to the emergency room. <laughs> okay. Is it good now? Yeah. Okay. So I went to the emergency room and I got admitted because my potassium was at a deathly low rate. So I was in the hospital for three days and the nurses like never came to check on me. Uh, the doctor who's supposed to come in every morning, whatever, talk to you about what's going on. He came in and checked on me one time, wouldn't make eye contact with me even like he walked in, typed on the computer, like that's it. And I even was asking them because I'd never detoxed before. Like I didn't, I was like, why is this lasting so long? And he was like, I could give you something to speed up the process, but we're not going to do that. And that was it. Did, wow. yeah. did, did, it, did it get further than that? Didn't you get, um, like, when did they start treating you? Like, when you were about to die? Um, when I got there, the only way, when I got my medication, they only allowed me two medications. Um, <clears throat> I got a cramping med and a nausea med. And they wouldn't give it to me through my IV. I only got it through muscle shots in my thighs. That's all I really got. And uh, how were you treated, Foster, when you went into the hospital with, you know, originally your congestion? When did that happen? Uh, it's been, uh, well, it's about almost two years ago, September. Two years ago, um, so you were still in, yeah, that's right, you were still in your use, going oh yeah, strong. Definitely, and and, and uh, all the doctors in the ER know me, I mean, and know of my situation. I don't lie to anybody about my, my addiction or my past recovery, you know, but there's a stigma, you know, there's numerous times. I mean, I went in, when I went in for my congestive heart failure, I felt like I was drowning. Um, and I was uh, I was sitting at a at a buddy's house right before that just twacked. I mean I was doing what I do, you know. But I sat there and I, I felt like I was drowning, and uh, I felt that way for days, and I kept get, gaining weight, you know. It was like weird. And so I went in the ER, and it was just they knew I was high, obviously, but. Once they started running the tests and stuff, you know, they came in and they were concerned about me and they admitted me. I was in the hospital for a long time, but, uh, it was when I went, cause I'm, I'm, I'm in Chicago and when I left Chicago, I went to Arizona. I noticed the difference in Arizona. When I passed out of going to, or I went down going to a speaker conference, speaker jam. And, uh, I, those people didn't even look at my addiction. They just looked at what was going on at that moment. So I came back and I was dealing with, with stuff here again. And I kept hearing, well, Foster, you're an addict, so you're always going to be treated differently. Or we're not going to give you this because, I mean, and 
I do not take opioids. I never did. I hate them. No disrespect to anybody. That just not was my DOC. And um, they were giving me morphine, IV morphine in uh, Arizona for the sepsis pain because I have sepsis. And um, I got here and it, he's like, well, you're an ex-addict, so I'm not going to give you anything but ibuprofen. And I had septic arthritis in my knee, you know, and I'm like, all right. So I walked out. I walked out of AMA. I don't care. You know, if you don't treat me, why am I going to give you my money? And but I kept hearing from my nurse, my nurse practitioner, Foster, you're an addict, so you're always going to be treated differently. Or we're not going to, you know, my disability claim. I've been trying to get disability for 2014. I never wanted it. My family told me to get it. My doctors told me to get it. No, I'm not mad better. Um, <laughs> he thinks I'm, he's like, little oh, dad, you're getting pissed. But on the last page of the, before I did my appeal, it says, this man is a drug addict, will never, ever not be a drug addict. He's not disabled. Yeah, that shouldn't even be part of the paperwork. And that's like, the, coming, the, right. And I don't, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's coming from an office, uh, a field officer who's never talked to me, never met me, based on some something some medical professional put in there. That is an opinion. That is not a fact. That is not a, a scientific, you know. That's not even of, the word used in, like, the DMS. It's no. it's substance use disorder. If they're going to yeah. call it anything, call it the medical term. Right. That's yeah. actually one of the other things I wrote down that I have a big problem with. And I'm not sure who else knows about, but like the way they use substance abuse versus substance use disorders is a big deal because they did studies and people react differently and they're less likely to get treatment if you call them an addict or if you say you're a substance abuser. But if you say, hey, you have substance use disorder, but I know how you can get out of it. People are more likely to accept help when it's called something different. Right. And the thing is, is, and I don't mean to take up the whole thing, but the thing is, is addiction is not just about drugs. You know, when when somebody can have a toe jam addiction, I mean, if they're whatever you get addicted to, you're addicted to that, and and how it affected your life and how it became unmanageable makes you an addict, not drugs, the substances of drugs. You know, people are addicted to food. Not everybody is an addict. But everybody's addicted to something. That yeah. makes sense. That makes complete sense. Now, Tara, did you have to deal with anything when you went like to prison? Like when you were withdrawing? Like when did they take care of you at all? No. Um they when I went in, it was like the last year or something they had where they gave you like um a couple of comfort meds, but there wasn't any there wasn't like anything like Suboxone or what, like methadone or anything. You just basically, you just, you kicked, you know. Um, like you would think that they would offer like some kind of MAT program in prison. They do people. now. So okay, now, good. now people leaving, they have the option to like get a Vivitrol shot. Um, I know that one for sure. I want to say I saw that they might be doing Suboxone um, as like, as you're leaving. And I, I know they're doing that more in like the, minimum securities too because so many people are like leaving for work so people are like leaving for work getting stuff dropped off and now everything has fentanyl in it so everyone's dropping dead so now it's more you know it's more beneficial to have people on 
Matt because, you know, they have a fighting chance versus it's, walking out the door and dying. Yeah. Could you imagine getting Vivitrol in jail, like, and, or, like, say you had, like, a five-year stay and you could get a Vivitrol shot yeah, once a month. That'd be great. You wouldn't have to worry about like, oh, I'm going to relapse with the drugs around here. But no, I have the shot. I'm good. Right. I can work a program and then not worry about the cravings that you get because it takes away those cravings. Like it would help the prison system so much if they would allow Vivitrol shots inside for the prisoners if they wanted to. You kick for seven days, you know, cold turkey, you have to go seven days. But once you're done, you get the shot, cravings go away and you're going to live a lot better and you're going to actually – learn something in prison because you're going to have time to think about other things besides I'm in so much fucking pain or where are the drugs yeah. at. Yeah. Um, and Foster, you never had to deal with any kind of the systems when it comes to jails. Did you, you scared of five for the time that no, you were I out actually, there? I actually worked for the Illinois department of corrections as an addiction counselor. Remember? <laughs> and, uh, couldn't figure out why they fired me when I didn't pass the drug test. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, uh, I, I I never did those, so you know tweakers. We uh we just get told deal with it, you know. When you get a now, yeah, we don't have it's nothing close to the the, the withdrawals as what the others are. But um, there, trust me, after thirty six years of IV use, oh, I had some withdrawals. Some well, mess, yeah, yeah. There's mess, and the mess psychosis that comes yeah. along with that. Even got to madre. It was terrible. Yeah, I, was, I was going to say, with meth, I, I was always afraid of the mental part of the withdrawals because that's yeah. where the psychosis comes in. That's, you know, we have the physical. Any of the opiates on here, we had the physical withdrawals and some mental cravings. But really, it was physical withdrawals. And yeah. with meth, you get a little bit physical, especially if you're an IV user. Um, right. But mostly it's mental. And that mental shit can last 90, 120, I, six months. I still have meth psychosis. Okay, yeah. Still, you know, it does. It's not like regular. Yeah. But but it it comes, and all of a sudden, I'll be start getting real paranoid. Mm -hmm. and I'll feel like somebody's after me or or watching me, you know. Yeah. And, uh, that may just because I'm isolated all the time too. But um, people are watching you right now. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do now. Yeah, you just tripped me. Thanks. <laughs> but you know that that's true. That's the way it was. Is is I just the the psychosis part of it is is the worst for me. You know, I never was one of those guys that sat by the windows and did that crap. You know, mm -hmm. we talked about it in my interview, but but after I got clean, then I did. It was yeah. just like it was I don't know. I got worse in the head when I got clean. So, well, that's part of the, you know, come down from 45 years of, <laughs> you know, using meth. That's I'm sure there's going to be some lasting effects in there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I want to say, so. <laughs> Um, Ashley, with harm reduction, now, what are you guys doing around your area in harm reduction? Okay, well, I work with Ohio Can, <clears throat> and a lot of us are distributors, so we can, we get them shipped to our houses, and we're able to train and give Narcan out, and, uh, something like in Ohio, which is typically in the bigger cities right now. But within the last year, one opened up like a half hour away from my town. Um, it's, I don't, they call it the B-DIT program. Um, they'll give you containers to put your dirties in. And they're only open on Wednesdays for two hours. 
but it's better than nothing, I guess. Yeah. And you can go in. Um, it's like pretty much all anonymous. You know, you don't have to go in and like show your ID and anything like that. But you, people go in and you can say, I need 900. And they'll give you 900 needles. You know what I mean? If that's what you're going to because you're only supposed to use them one time. You know, like they're really big on that because the whole point in doing this is to keep people from reusing and getting the blood infections and then passing HEP and passing yeah. HIV, but like getting sepsis. Over there, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, you know, and like something like that. I mean, like the when I first started getting into recovery, like that's something like I kind of was like, well, that doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? But then like the more I got educated on it, I'm like, you know, that does make sense because people are going to get high no matter what. They're going to get high no matter what. So you might as well make it as safe as you can for them. But at this place, when you can go and get your needles, they give you the needles, cookers, um, the little um, plastic like vials of water, um, tourniquets, and you leave with Narcan too. And then they have a big table set out with a bunch of like recovery information on it. And that's something I wish we could do in like more cities, but I, I guess, I mean, it's moving along as well as it can, I guess. Yeah. A lot of the cities are that are trying to implement it. It's they go through a lot of hurdles because I know that we're trying to do a lot in our area. The United Way does a lot with harm reduction in our area. Um, they have the whole entire section united in recovery. Um, and the person that heads that up was actually on an interview um, a couple weeks ago. Her name was Olivia, and she's all about harm reduction. She's in recovery as well, and that's what they go around. They do, like, big events at parks, like cookouts and stuff like that, and you can show up, and you can get free Narcan. You can get um, trained on how to use Narcan and all that kind of stuff. So that's what they're trying to do in this area, but you have to do it, like, kind of town by town and just hope that the town takes it on and says – yeah, you can do that here or else like, you know, some of the towns are objecting to it. You know, they're not ready for that kind of yeah. progressive thing of yeah. we don't want drug addicts. You know, like people even said that about us, the meeting center. We are a mental health meeting center. Like that's what it says on our Facebook and everything. And there's like a section of called 30 seconds on our local paper where people can just write in like, oh, this is what I want to say anonymously. And somebody's there's a park across the street going in and someone wrote, oh, great. There's going to be a park across from the drug withdrawal center. Ugh. And I wanted to reply, like, number one, drug <laughs> withdrawal center means we have no drugs, sir. We're not doing <laughs> drugs here. We're withdrawing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go get your stigma. Right. But, right. you know, I wanted to reply. I screenshot it and I put it on Facebook and I wrote this long thing, just pissed. And then I posted it. And then I deleted it a minute later, just like, no, I just need to get that out. I don't want to yeah. give them power. And then I started a meeting for family and friends of addicts instead as a way to combat that. Like, oh, we're thinking all about drugs. We don't want people with drugs here. We want the family and friends here. Yeah, you know, that was my way ass. to. <laughs> that's what that's what one year sober versus three years sober does. Right. Yeah, that's, that's the difference. Yeah. Kind of, you know, we don't in Illinois, you're, you're allowed uh, 20, 20 syringes at once. And okay. you got to pay for them. And, uh, you know, like I said, I don't know about the other stuff, but there's, I don't know anywhere 
to uh, dispose of them. Never heard I of that. Around I used to flush them down in my toilet because I got a septic tank. You know oh, what I'm okay. And then when the guys had to come and clean it out, I was like, oh crap, here we go. <laughs> there's just there's nothing none of that here and it's yeah. you're right it does it's by city by city chicago is one of the biggest cities in the world and you know but there's none of that here there's no i'm of that surprised here. yeah because you know yeah. illinois is you know even cannabis you know is recreational now in illinois yeah so i'm really surprised with that kind of progression that they haven't gotten there and how has massachusetts been with addiction when it relates to cannabis <laughs> now that cannabis has been legalized for a couple of years in mass you know i don't really know you know like there's not really a whole lot like the there there's a huge problem like in boston like there's a, a section called like the methadone mile and it's basically like just it's really spread out and it's just tons of homeless people and it started off at it started off people being homeless there because there's tons of resources there there's people that walk around with backpacks with you know, needles, cookers, supplies, like you have everything that you need, like the methadone clinics right there, they have shower stations, they have food, like they make it very comfortable, but then they made it like too comfortable. So like everyone from like every city was like coming there. And now it's literally like just the streets of Boston have like huge tents, like it's like just a gigantic tent city. And it just it happened. So like that part happened, like within two months, like now, like we're deep in this, like, before it was on the news like a little bit because it was a small section, but then it's, it's gotten really big, like especially over the past couple months for whatever reason. And now they're trying to like put it in, like they're trying to put centers in like other cities and nobody wants it there. Everyone wants it. No, you deal with it, even though they are coming from here like you did because they made it too, like they, they waited too long. Like they, the resources were great. They, it was great, fabulous. However, this, this, like, it's almost like, you know, like, it's almost like now the scales tipped too, too much. And then like, they tried to take away some of the stuff like the shower stations and everything, but it didn't make the people leave because there's so many, there's so many drugs down there. There's, it's just so easy Yeah. that, you know, now it, it's just, it's, it's crazy, you know, it's crazy. Now you want to do something with cannabis in the area that don't you with recovery yeah. and cannabis? Yeah. So like I am starting the, like the in-person once a month support group just for, cause just with talking to people online and like just doing my little, you know, 420 recovery stuff, but talking to other people who use cannabis and recovery and having them share their stories. It's like, like I was saying today, nobody starts, nobody who uses cannabis and recover, at least nobody that I have come across like never went to rehab before, never tried 20 million other things. Like when somebody gets to the point where they are comfortably using cannabis in recovery, please know that that person has most likely been through fucking hell and back and has tried very, like various forms of all sorts of different type of this, that, and the other thing. Because when you've been going to rehabs and everything for years and years and years, like can using cannabis in recovery is not a comfortable thing. You know, it's not something that you even, like I said, I didn't even think, consider myself in recovery once I started doing that. You know, I considered myself an ex-junkie who happened to use cannabis. Like recovery and cannabis were not two words that could go together. They weren't as something in my vocabulary. 
And now it's something that I speak about every day because I realize there's so many of us. There's thousands upon thousands of us that are doing it. And it's like, okay, so it's not just like me who's just a fucking weirdo, you know, like there's so many of us and it's it's working for people and it's working for the people that nothing else was fucking working, you know? Yeah. Now, actually, you reminded me and you said all the treatment centers. Foster, you, you didn't go to any treatment centers, did you? Yeah, I went to five. You went to five? They just okay. didn't work. They just didn't work. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, they did work. I didn't work them. Yeah. Right. And Tara, you've been to a couple? Yeah, I think I've been inpatient. I yeah. think I've been maybe six or seven. And what about you, Ashley? One inpatient and outpatient four times. Okay. And I went to one inpatient, one outpatient. So... Now, the stigma around going when all the times that, like, you went six or seven times, that was all family asking you to go, right? Yeah. And the one time you went, that was The very last time I went was the last time I ever, the very last time that I went on my own and nobody else forced me was the last time I ever went to treatment. Okay. And when you went to treatment, Ashley, it's because it was court ordered, right? Yep. Okay. What about you, Foster? When you went to five times, was somebody asking you to go, or did um, you go? The first, the first three were because I was so young that I didn't have a choice. My family made me go. Um, and then the last one, the last two were because I was getting ready to uh, lose my job because of it. You so know? you you needed to go for work, basically. Yeah, I needed to go for work, even though my employer didn't know. They thought I was going for something else, but yeah. Yeah, but still, yeah, that was something to keep your job. So that that's the big stigma, too, is like I talked about it a lot whenever I was asked to go, which was a lot of times, you know, in my 20s, because like I was a heavy user from 22 to 31. So that's a lot of times people were asking me to go to rehab. And each time I kept saying, like, I will go when I'm ready because I see people go to rehab and then I see them come back and still ask for drugs because they didn't want to be there. They needed to be there. And that was one of the big things that I always talk about is the needs and wants, because the people that need to be there usually are there for the wrong reasons. And you don't pay attention for those reasons and you end up leaving. And it was just like a break from society for 30 days. You know, if if I can, um, I, I struggle with the whole rehab thing, to be honest with you. I, I, um, I'm not saying it doesn't help people, but to me, it should be a detox and then we give what was so freely given to us. The program, people with opioid addictions, alcohol addictions, they need re- detox. We all know that. It's a medical proven thing. Yeah. But the remainder of it is people just coming into the rooms and sharing their stories and helping other addicts because we can get each other clean. Nobody else can. And the, the rehabs are making millions and trillions of dollars off of us intentionally letting people come back in and out and the truth is the ones who need it don't get it yeah you know what i mean i know so many people that are sitting on a waiting list that need to be in treatment right now and then you got a guy who was court ordered who could give two to shit he's playing the game yeah that that completely tears me apart i hate it yeah i've always said that that's my only rehab stay because aa worked so well for me that i got so much out of the program when i went because i wanted to be at aa 
that I always said, like, if I ever relapse, I'm going to detox at a hospital or something, make sure I'm good detoxing and then go right back into the rooms and just talk because talking and I was just talking to Tara before people hopped on, like talking is what helps me stay sober. Like I was like depressed as shit for a few days. And it was because I went on that run of doing like, you know, 30 some interviews really, you know, in in 20 days, basically I did like 30 interviews and then I didn't do any for like four or five days and I was depressed and I didn't know why. And then I did a couple interviews and I felt amazing again. And I was like, Oh shit, I missed that connection. Like I needed that connection again. Like even though I was interviewing my wife and I knew her story still just talking about it made me feel better. And then we did ours and I felt better. So like, I was like, shit, I need to be talking again. And it's, you know, I don't go to the meetings, but talking to people is what keeps me sober. You know, right. that's one of the things that keeps me sane. So to what, what you were saying, Foster, about how they just want to make money on us and make us return customers. They yeah. make us as comfortable as possible so that we're okay with going back. They yeah. give you Suboxone, even though Suboxone, there was a girl in my rehab who was there to get off Suboxone, who was there the year before to get off heroin. So she had to go back a year later to get off of the medicine that they gave her in rehab. Yeah, like I that. You know, then she had to go through sober living again with them, you know, do the whole entire thing again. That's Dude, I, and that's just one person. When I went to, when I went to Arizona. I, I, you know, I had all these people from the rooms on Zoom that I'd met uh, and I had never seen sober living in my life. We have halfway houses here, you know what I mean? But you come out of prison, you get you do it and then you're gone. Then people freaking live there all the time, nonstop. They live sober living and I'm not disrespecting them. I'm saying that's how they cope. That's how they they live, you know. And I'm sitting there and, and freaking on an acre with nobody in a big old house, and I'm like, damn, them people got it made. Because I I got to deal with this shit on my own, you know. Well, there are people that take advantage of that system too. I knew a guy in my rehab that, you know, he was kicking heroin with nothing. You know, he was taking nothing, and he was there for dope. And I'm like, damn, like how are you? Like in my head, like how is he doing that? And then I, you know, found out it was because whenever he got kicked out of sober living eventually, because he would go through the whole thing and the insurance would stop paying for it, whatever, he would go out and he would get high one time and then go back to rehab and then he would piss dirty and then get put right back into the system again on purpose using state insurance. So he, because he was homeless and he would have stayed homeless, but instead of going to jail, he would get three meals a day by getting, you know, high once every couple months and going back and forth to rehabs. So like there are people that take advantage of the rehab system in the other way too, that, you know, I've seen, you know, where they're just trying to recruit people into rehabs, they'll get them high and then give them a cut if they get whatever they get their commission on. Like, I know that that's his job to recruit people in. And he gets commissioned. Yeah. And how fucked up is that? Yep. Excuse my language, you know, but no, you're you're good. You're you're gonna sit there and make money off of my my friends, my brothers, my my family, myself, while I die, you know, as I'm dying. That's like that's like they owe me a bunch of money. The state of Illinois owes me a bunch of money for my disability. And my doctor told me straight up, he goes, Foster, they're just waiting for you to die so they don't have to pay you. You know how fucked up is that? That that. An addict is not an addict is not somebody just oh my god this that'll get me on a roll dude pisses me off for real you know because we we're human and they look at us less than a freaking lab rat yep a lab rat is more valuable than us 
and and that's because they don't understand it yeah they're not even they're not testing this on lab rats that's how much they don't want to hurt them (laughs) (laughs) right they got they got us (laughs) right but i mean you know that's the the truth is, is is they don't understand us so they they fear it you know what we don't understand as humans we fear like i don't understand suboxone and i don't understand the other stuff so when i hear people talk about having to take it i don't judge them because i don't have a place to judge anybody but, well, yeah, and that actually but I have a healthy fear of it because I'm like, they're still using, you know, not not putting a judgment on it. But, you know, as addicts, we always do that. Even even I did that. Well, yeah, I'm an IV junkie, but I, at least I don't shoot heroin. That you was know, actually it, that was one of the next things I wrote down was how we judge each other. The stigma. Oh, yeah. You know, other addicts judging other addicts in, reco- in both addiction and both in recovery. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know how how has have you got any ashley have you got any backlash from people yet any judgments about your post recently about how you came out with cannabis but you did originally no i really didn't when you first came out about to some people you did get some judgment though oh yeah 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 um i had somebody one of my what do you call them Sponsee sisters. Sponsee sisters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of my sponsee sisters told me, Ashley, people like me and you can't smoke weed because we're real junkies. And I was like, that's so weird. I was like, because I've been smoking for two months before I even told you right now. And you know what I mean? Like, I'm doing okay. It's fine. And a lot of people are like, I told you, somebody, I went and spoke at a rally over the weekend. The other weekend and somebody commented under the post like when she goes and speaks places does she talk about how she smokes weed like just it's none of your business i'm sorry to interrupt i'm sorry <laughs> judgmental <laughs> pricks man it's just it gets me every time <laughs> yeah uh that's really it is people making dumb remarks when do you feel the stigma? Or I'm not when did you ever feel the stigma of cannabis and recovery? Well, like I said, I mean, I, I, I stigmatized myself. You know, I wouldn't even let myself consider myself in recovery for so long because I used cannabis because I was heavy in the rooms. You know, like I, you know, I worked the steps. Like I was a sponsor. I carried the message. Like I was like deep in that shit. So. You could hear the little AA voice in your mind, like telling you you're doing it wrong. You know, like telling me, like, I'm just waiting for, you know, like that mental obsession to like hit where I'm going to go and like do my drug of choice and that I'm not going to be able to stop and that I'm going to have, you know, like I'm going to lose this powerless. Like, and there was, you know, at no point in time did I lose my power of choice when I came to cannabis, like I did with heroin or anything else. You know, like there, I have the power of choice with cannabis. I don't have the power of choice with, with heroin. And it was just like, you know, but everything that you're told in the rooms is that any mind altering substance, like I went to places that like, we didn't even take Dayquil because, you know, it, it had signs of anything, you know, any, any tiny thing, but yet we sat there and drank, you know, monsters and, you know, sucked down packs of butts, but you know, that's different, but I'm it's feeling just... called out big time right now. <laughs> looking at my giant monster and my cigarettes underneath my cell phone. Yeah, you I'm know, feeling but... really called out. <laughs> but yeah, like I said, I mean, I, I stigmatize myself. So, 
and then yeah. you know I, I get stuff all the time i've had people tell me you know i i have a I, my message is going to kill people stuff like that but I'm yeah. like no motherfucker your message is going to kill people your actual message is killing people so i i, I felt <laughs> it when because i got sober with cannabis too like in a rehab in the first ever rehab in, in the country that uses cannabis at the sober yeah. living and teaches you how to use cannabis in a positive way. It's literally the first one in the country. And it's out in Culver City in Los Angeles, and it's called High Sobriety. And um, so in LA, it was completely okay that I was in AA, and I was heavy in AA out there, like three or four times a day I was at a meeting. Um, and my sponsor knew, people in the rooms knew, I was open about it, that I use cannabis in my recovery. And then I got back to conservative old PA, and they're just like, oh, you cannot talk about that. Yeah. No, you cannot say that. No, you cannot do that. You can't even say pills. You have to say alcohol, sir. Like, what are you doing saying pills in here? Like, you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, holy shit, where am I? It's like time warp between the two, like, places of, like, accepting it and just, like, you're a pariah and you need to get the fuck out of here, man, because you're going to kill all yeah. of us. And, you know, I drank over it eventually. At 13 months, you know, I drank over that shit. And, um, you know, it is what it is. You know, I didn't drink alcoholically when I drank over it. It was like pool parties, some twisted tea, nothing crazy. And then eventually I, I drank a bottle of Jack in one night. And I woke up hungover and I was like, fuck this shit. I'm done with alcohol again. And that was February 29th, leap day of 2020. And my wife quit drinking the same day. We haven't had a drop since. And I was 19 months, you know, a couple of days ago. And I, was, I said to her, I said, it's the perfect sober date. 229, we only get an anniversary every four years. Like, it's <laughs> leap day. <laughs> so, you know, and then two weeks later, the shutdown happened. I was like, we're strapping in, baby, because, we, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's going to be a long haul from here. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, but... I don't, I don't have anything else I want to talk about. If anyone wants to talk about it, I'll let you guys go around, um, you know, before we end it. Foster, do you have anything you want to end it on? You know, I just wanted to say it's not my place to decide what somebody else's recovery exactly. works, works in their recovery because I'm not that person. You know, AA and NA was started a long time ago. And the program will never change. That's what it says. And I'm in agreement with that because it works. It's the only thing I've found that do, does work. But for me to, to say you can't smoke, I don't get the, I don't get the weed thing. I don't. That's this shit just made me feel. I, I smoked it all my life as a kid, but I felt stupid. It made me feel funny. You know, I guess it's supposed to, but I didn't like the way it made me feel. So, but. You know, my dad, my, my dad was 38 years of recovery, hardcore AA, had hundreds of people come through his house a month, uh, counseling him and sponsoring him. And he would say, hey, oh, no, 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 that you're, you know. But as he got older and he was, you know, he, his whole, ment he was hardcore, you know, he was like, he'd tell you like it was black and white. As he got older, he realized people have changed. And, and, uh. Even though the the disease is the same, it, it's just different out here. Well, cannabis is this, is different too. You know, 20, 30 yeah. years ago, you yeah, didn't know what the hell different. you were buying. You know, you really didn't know what you were buying 10, 15 years ago. 
But now I know when I'm buying a hybrid, I'm buying a hybrid. If I'm buying a sativa or indicate, I know exactly what I'm getting out of it. I don't even smoke it personally. I just use the little pill capsules and I microdose with it because for me, it would change my relationship and I love to smoke way too much. So changing that relationship to doing something different, to feeling different effects is the whole point of that, you know? And I think that's what all of us kind of strive for is not having the same kind of relationships as we used to have to our drug of choice, where it ran our life. It helped our life instead of ran our life. Right. And that's what I was saying. You know, the thing is, like I said before, society doesn't understand us because, and they, because of fear, they, they, they don't, they don't understand us because they don't, they don't know how, what it's like. AA people are in fear of the people that are doing cannabis because they don't understand why you need it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it, but it's not my place to judge it. You know what I'm saying? And I know not everybody's got that mentality, but if you can, you can smoke that and continue on. Okay. You know what I mean? I personally can't because it's going to lead me back to my DOC. You know what I'm saying? If I get high, I'm going to want to get high and it's going to be my mess. There's not going to be no, let's sit back and chill, you know, because I don't like to chill. I like to go, go, go. Yeah. So that makes all. I mean, I was just saying this, you know, if you're out there judging people who, who are doing whatever, you know, suboxone, cannabis, whatever. If you don't like what they're fucking typing, scroll by, you know what I'm saying? Because Facebook doesn't make make you powerful. It just makes you somebody behind a keyboard just like the rest of us. And that's what drives me crazy. You know, I'm on the addictions fighting addiction, addicts fighting addiction. And I'll fight for anybody. When somebody comes at them, blah, 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 blah. Like, motherfucker, who are you to tell somebody else what they can do? And I'm sorry. I know I'm swearing. But, you know, if I haven't been in your, if I haven't been in your shoes and I don't know how you feel, I ain't got a right to say shit. Yep. All I got to do is worry about me today. And try to spread the message. So I'll shut up now. No, you're good, man. I appreciate that. What about you, Ashley? You want to end on anything? Everybody love everybody. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's a cannabis user. Tweakers don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I had to say that. (laughs) What about you, Tyra? Um... Well, just in like response to what Foster said, the, the the one thing that I wish people would understand about cannabis is you have to just the way that somebody like you drink your coffee every morning, right? Like with cannabis, when you're using it, sometimes people are comparing it to like the one time that they like had a slip and they smoked some weed and you're comparing how high you got compared to somebody who is and like I literally I microdose all day too like I'll literally like hit my pipe like my bong or something like I hit it like one time and then like I'm good until you know until like the afternoon if I want to hit it again sometimes I do sometimes I don't but the feeling and the effects and the way that it works like through your endocannabinoid system all of that stuff is much different when it's a daily a daily consumption versus you know someone who is just doing it and I think that sometimes people compare like they're thinking that and can cannabis be abused absolutely but so can coffee I've seen people sit down at a meeting and suck down a whole pot of coffee so can people smoke too much weed and and absolutely of course they can but people can smoke it can drink too much coffee too so there's 
there's ways to use it medicinally, and then there's ways to abuse it just like you can abuse literally anything. So, you know, I just, I wish that people would understand that there is, there there can be ways that you can use it without being intoxicated with it. You know, like yeah. there really is real, genuine medicinal use of cannabis, but people only see that like stoner stigma that you know, that stuff that, and it's, I mean, people do it. Stoners portray that too. Like we, you know, we're, I'm responsible of even doing some of it sometimes myself, but um, it really can be. And the other part is just, I'll leave with this too, is that a lot of us also have like co-occurring disorders. So while like the steps may work magically and wonderful for someone whose main problem is addiction, for others, we have other disorders we have like real you know anxiety disorders adhd other things that like you think oh aren't that big of a deal that as you start to heal and go to therapy and actually do the work you realize these are huge components in my life that that's what i was medicating for you know like that's what i was doing all these things for and just finding ways to like navigate throughout your life you know we may all have the same you know addiction but we don't all have the same shit going on in our heads either. You know, we're all, we're all dealt with different shit. So that's all. <laughs> that's awesome. Thank you so much. And thank everybody for taking the time to hop on today. And I appreciate it. It's the first time, you know, doing this. Thanks for the idea, Foster. Because um, I definitely want to do these more often with different ideas. I want to see how this went. So this will be out Tuesday. Um okay evening sometime around like six or seven but i'll let everybody know like i usually do um but yeah so i don't have anything else but i appreciate everybody's time and thank you again for coming on thank you see you later buddy see you later all right see you but like even compared to like methadone you know what i mean like the mats you know so like vivitrol methadone like all those other options suboxone they're all stigmatized but in a different kind of way like with cannabis it's like oh you're trying to get high you're trying to escape you're like do you know what i'm even doing yeah do you know how i'm doing it like what are you talking about no i'm not trying to escape anything i don't need to escape anything yeah you know so that's like when methadone when you come off that it's sometimes most from what i've heard because i never had to do it is it's worse than getting off opiates yeah like getting off methadone is worse than getting off any of that and i know yeah, firsthand that say. subs it's worse than getting off subs than getting off opiates that's why i turned when i went to rehab the only time i went they were like okay here's your suboxone i was like no i'm not taking that you can put yeah. that back into the pharmacy i don't even want to have that script number one that's too much of a trigger for me so i sell them i used to sell suboxone i don't know how to yeah. hold on to subs i'll yeah. sell them for money and that's just a behavior that i don't need so like i don't want the subs now i don't want this to be comfortable i don't want to you know be okay with coming back you know because that's what happens you get comfortable with rehab and then you're okay with going back because it's like a little retreat it's like a little getaway like hey i know i'm just gonna go fuck up and just go on a run for three months and then let's go back to rehab again where it's comfortable for a month i'll take i'll be no one's gonna bother me i can just lay in bed all day like no it's it shouldn't be that comfortable it's so true. Like the beginning, like even what she said, she's like what she said today, like the the beginning of it, like that madness, like when you first go, like I remember thinking like how crazy it felt. Like I remember how crazy my first psych ward felt, how crazy my first detox felt. And then by the end, 
they were like vacations. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was a place to just go and regroup. And it was, you know, like you said, like it was comfortable because I just, it was everything that I had come to expect and know, and they're all the same basically. So, you know. Hey, and there's, and there's rehabs out there that, you know, you're allowed to use your cell phone. Have you seen those yeah. rehabs that they let you use your cell phone? I've only been to one, but it was like one of the worst, like, it was like so state funded. It was so bad. It was on top of like a homeless shelter and we could have our cell phones. Yeah. Like there were, I, in mine, we could have our cell phone for a half an hour, twice a day inside of the one office where staff watches us. We could not send messages. We could only scroll. They could only see us scrolling. And if we stopped scrolling and we're doing anything else, we were suspect and lost our phones. Yeah. Like it was only meant to scroll, not post or not, you know, talk to anybody. So like I, I and I heard all the people and they're like, oh, yeah, we get our phones all day in rehab. I'm like, why? That's, yeah. that's I bet they do now, probably because people are so like attached to them. Now it's probably like cigarettes. Like it's probably I don't know. I haven't been to rehab in a while now, but <laughs> yeah, Ashley, you won. Can you hear us? Yeah. Can you yeah. hear me? Yeah. yeah. All right. Can you hear? Hold could on. you hear us? We were just like finishing. We were talking about um, rehabs and all that shit. Yeah. Uh, Foster's about to join on too, so we're about to get started in a second. I can't see you though. <laughs> I know. Can you see my camera at all? Oh, there we go. Now you're yeah, much better, Ash. Yeah. Okay. Can you see me, Jenny? Yep, you're getting there. I can't see anybody. You can't see me yet. I can see you. I mean, I okay. can't see. All right. We got Sorry, it. I'm late. No, you're good, man. You are yeah. good. I'm trying I, to. I uh, shared my story at 2 a.m. this morning, so I just got up. It's great. I, I, I was just telling Tara that that's like you're always doing like the 2 a.m.s yeah. on like, you know. Like UK, right? That's where you do it. Uh, well, this this one is uh, Arizona. Oh, oh, it's a late night. It's Twelve their time, you know. Late night there, yeah. But yeah, usually it's UK. Okay, that's cool. 